All right, welcome in once again for a Thursday night edition preview in Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It's the Dream Preview College Basketball Edition pregame.com. I am AJ Hoffman, joined as always by Griffin Warner. Griffin, hello, friend. How's it going, AJ? Happy Thursday. Looking forward to another weekend of uh, hopefully not pain and misery. Yeah, that'd be nice. Uh, I, I got back on on the saddle today, and Towson was a big winner for me against UNC Wilmington. A uh, little daytime ball that was good. Let's go. I'm, I'm licking my wounds from last night. We, you had Georgia Tech over NC State, which surprised me was never even a game. Like North Carolina State just shit on them from the opening tip, uh, which I they haven't done that to anybody, so it was shocking. I lost my best bet from last podcast last night with Moorhead State minus nine uh, against UT Martin. And probably the most painful best bet loss of the season when with 13 seconds left, Moorhead State, Johnny Broom is called for a technical for hanging on the rim on a breakaway dunk. And that technical foul shot is the one that covers the game for UT Martin. The biggest ball punch uh, maybe in the history of our podcast for best bet losers. So that's how things are rolling for us. Hopefully we, uh, we're we getting back on track with this episode. There are some interesting games from a national standpoint to discuss, so we'll get into those first. Uh, I think all four of our games are on Saturday. Um, kind of an ugly card for Friday and for Friday and Sunday. Uh, but let's start in the Big Ten with the Illini at Michigan State. Michigan State, we're going to project as a one-point favorite. I'll let you take the lead on this one. Oh man, uh, you know, good co-hosting setting me up for. Uh, and I don't know. I can do it if you don't like this one. No, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to start. I might as well give you where I sit on Michigan State, and and that's – I don't believe in them. I don't really know what to expect from them. It seems like if they shoot the ball really well, they're pretty good, um, but that's a pretty big if um, for a lot of teams. Playing at home, it's certainly more likely than on the road, but uh, they cough the ball up. I feel like every time I watch them cross half court and that's certainly not the way to uh, uh, get a good seed in the NCAA tournament, win games, cover bets, cover spreads, uh, especially as a favorite at home. Yeah. So here's the deal with Michigan. I'm with you. First of all, I don't believe in them either. And they are now coming into what appears to be a heavily backloaded Big Ten conference schedule. I mean, they, they're sitting at 9-5 and five in conference now. But besides splitting with Wisconsin, their best win is Michigan at home. So this the, the now for the rest of their season, this is the, the season-ending run. Illinois at Iowa, Purdue at Michigan, at Ohio State, Maryland. We're about to find out what Michigan State's made of. Like They're projected to lose four of their last five games, although oddly this one they're projected to win by a point. I just I personally think that there are tiers to the Big Ten, and, and there's not many. I think there's about three tiers. I think there's an Illinois-Purdue, and I think maybe Ohio State's in that first tier, and then there's everybody else, and then there's like – you know, Maryland, 
uh, Road Rutgers, Minnesota, and Penn State. Or, oh, Nebraska. Nebraska's the fourth tier by themselves. I forgot about Nebraska. So, I mean, it's there's a, a big chunk of teams that kind of seem about the same to me. And I think Michigan State falls into that one. And they don't, they, they haven't, you know, put anything together against any of those teams that I consider the elite of the conference. And really, besides the loss to, to Illinois that they've already had, they haven't had to see any of them. They only play Purdue once this year. They only play Ohio State once this year. So some fortunate scheduling for them. But then when you look at the teams, that, the elite teams that they have played this season, blown out by Baylor, blown out by Kansas, and, and then the loss to Illinois. So I just don't buy into them. And this Illinois team, I, I, maybe I'm maybe I'm a sucker, but I, I still believe in them. And they are not, they they I, th- I think they're really well equipped to battle what Michigan State's bad at. You mentioned not being able to take care of the ball, 288th nationally in turnover percentage. And while Illinois is not the the transition juggernaut that they were with Desumu last year, they're still excellent in that regard. And then the the other thing about Michigan State, you said they've got to hit threes which you know that's key for them certainly because they can't make anything around the basket. They get no easy looks at the basket, uh, which is, is funny because in the first matchup against Illinois, they had a lot of success at the basket. That was a one-point Illini win, even though Illinois was up by double digits most of that game. It ends up being a one-point win for Illinois. But of note, Kofi Coburn didn't play in that game, which obviously makes it a lot easier to get buckets at the rim uh, than when when that behemoth is standing down there. So I think that changes everything. Illinois coming off an embarrassing loss where they just kind of got bullied by Rutgers. They were minus 16 in rebounds, and no one in that Rutgers game played even a mediocre game besides Kofi Coburn. So I think you, you're looking at a, a nice bounce-back spot for the more talented team in Illinois, and I'm just not going to buy into Michigan State until they prove it to me. And you know, like I said, with what they've done so far this season, they just they haven't proven to me to be able to to, to say, yeah, they sh- they should be favored over a team like Illinois. It seems nonsensical to me. Yeah, I think the big matchup is probably going to be uh, Kofi playing this game, Coburn inside on Marcus Bingham, who is a great shot blocker, has a lot of length, but has uh, no weight to him or on him whatsoever. And I think it's going to be really hard for Michigan State to win this game, cover this spread, even if it's really small and really only requires a victory uh, if they can't stop Kofi inside. Um, because once you start having to double him, the ability to, to, I mean, Kofi's shown that he can pass out to shooters. And if they're making three-point shots, uh, I don't think Michigan State can really do it here. I, I do think at home they have a good shot. Uh, I just, I don't think that I, either side of, of, of this game really wants me to step in there and get ready to lose some money. All right, let's stay in the Big Ten for a matchup that is kind of up in the air right now because uh, Iowa playing Michigan today, but we're going to look at the Hawkeyes at Ohio State, uh, and we're going to project Iowa uh, about a four-point dog to Ohio State. This is a tough line to, to nail, especially with a game going on right now, but what do you think of the way that Ohio State and Iowa match up? You know, I was surprised that this number is as low as it is. Um, Ohio State is kind of a Jekyll and Hyde team, and I feel like under Chris Holtman, they've done a lot of really good performances in before New Year's, and then after New Year's kind of struggled. Maybe that's a Big Ten thing, um, which can beat up anybody. Uh, but I think they're a lot more talented in Iowa, and 
Um, I mean, watching the Iowa Michigan game tonight, I was in it for the whole time and then struggled towards the end. Um, and unfortunately did just lose. I think it just went final during the podcast, but, um, from, from where I sit with Iowa and it's kind of, they, they showed us a little bit this year that their offense is, is still really good. Um, and I think we were, a lot of people were expecting it to take a step backwards. It hasn't really done that. Uh, and the Keegan Murray has emerged as an awesome, awesome player, uh, potential all American. Uh, but there's still a similar defensive team that really struggles, especially on the road. Um, and I feel like they're a team that really has to prove to us that they're a good road team before we can even consider backing them uh, at a number right around a possession. So, yeah, it's a little bit above that minus three that I generally look for. Uh, but Ohio State at, at minus four seems pretty cheap to me with uh, Liddell might be the most most difficult guy to guard on this on this floor. And I think also key inside will be a key factor Uh because I don't think Iowa can guard in the interior whatsoever. Robracha seems to be a, a young player that might get there, but I just feel like he's automatic scoring against him. Uh, and that's going to be really tough against a pretty good Ohio State team with a good crowd. Yeah, as good as Keegan Murray is, I, I don't think he's the answer to stop in Liddell. And if you go beyond those two players, I just think Ohio State's just got a better roster, particularly at home. They're 7-4 and four against the spread this year. They're at home. They've already beat Duke and Wisconsin there. And you mentioned E.J. Liddell. He's been the Ken Palm MVP in seven of the Ohio State University's last 10 games. He's up to second in the player of the year metric. So he, he's just killing it lately. And Iowa, to me, you, like you said, I, I'm, I was surprised at this number. I, I'm, I'm surprised at every Iowa number because Iowa's on the list of teams that an, the analytics certainly love more than I do. I, I was 18th in Ken Palm. They're 17 and 7. They're 0 and 3 against those teams in the Big Ten that I talked about that I said are elite, Illinois and Purdue. And, and I mean, there is some credit to them. They they take care of the ball. Uh they they it's rare that a team can play at the pace that Iowa does. Iowa's a top 50 tempo team, and they turn the ball over 12.3% of the, of their possessions, the lowest rate in the country. So it's rare that you can blend a, t- a tempo like they play with mistake-free basketball. But I just don't know what else they do really well. And uh, Ohio State uh, offensively in conference play is clicking. They're, hit, they're hitting 37% from outside. Uh, Iowa's the 10th best team in the conference at defending the arc, so I feel like there's some open looks for Ohio State. Uh, I'm with you. If, if I had to play this game, it's, I'm certainly laying the points here with Ohio State. I, I just do not trust this Iowa team. All right, let's go to the Big 12 for a rematch of a game that we talked about a couple weeks ago. We said, boy, this feels like a home run spot for Texas Tech. And now, does it feel like a home run spot going the other way for the Longhorns? We're going to project Texas at about minus two hosting the Red Raiders. Absolutely huge game. I hope I don't restate what you're saying, but uh, I think it probably needs to be pointed out that this is the return game for Chris Beard uh, in Austin for, and I'm sure he's been talking quite a bit to his team to try to get them as focused as possible for what looks to me like a really good Texas Tech team that I, I feel like they have an identity that that Texas just really, really hasn't had all season. Um, and, and when I look at this game, I'm not a huge fan of, of the Texas program. Unfortunately, as an alum, I'm pretty close to it. And uh, I'm usually watching through my like fingers uh, covering my, my eyes. Um, but I, I think 
they're shown some cracks in the chemistry with Trey Mitchell suddenly missing um, from a, a big game at Oklahoma that they did win in overtime, um, which was a good win and, and something that they usually don't do. Um, so that was pretty important. But I, I just see a lot of flaws in what is the Texas offense at this point. Uh, I think they're going to be a great defense and they're going to make it really hard on teams that don't really defend well to, to score efficiently enough, considering how poorly they're going to score themselves. Uh, but when I look at Texas Tech, they're a team I want to buy, uh, especially as an underdog. Uh, and in Austin, which, I mean, I think Texas plays fairly well at home, like most home teams do, but there might be a lot of Red Raiders in, in that crowd on, on Saturday. Yeah, it, it's hard to say that losing Trey Mitchell it's hard to say it's a positive and he if you if you haven't heard Trey Mitchell is uh on a personal leave of absence like I get something going on with his family of course they're not they're not saying much um but I my biggest complaint is that the the rotation has been so murky that maybe taking him out of the mix clears things up at least a little bit I thought I thought they played well at Oklahoma without him and like when you consider Oklahoma was desperate for a win. Like that, that loss to Texas probably knocks Oklahoma out of any kind of tournament situation. And now they get to they get to play this this Texas Tech team that gave them the worst beatdown that they took all season. And as far as Tech goes, if the NCAA tournament was in Lubbock, they might win the whole thing. They have smashed everyone there at that grocery store arena or whatever it's called including Texas, including Baylor, Mississippi State, Kansas. They smashed all of them, but the road's been different for them. They lost – like losing at Kansas and, and Providence, you know, Providence say what you want about them, but it, those seem like forgivable losses. And then losing at Iowa State's not a shame, even though Iowa State's not very good. They do have some magic home court to them. But then they laid eggs on the road against Oklahoma and Kansas State, and they those were non-competitive losses to – non-tournament caliber teams and now they've got to go to austin where the horns have have beaten kansas they've beaten tennessee i i think if there's a revenge spot all year for texas this is it i expect there to be i mean just you're not going to get as raucous a crowd in texas as you are in lubbock or in, in austin as you are in lubbock you just don't the basketball crowd in austin is just not that but i do think you're going to get a better than average texas basketball crowd so I, I I lean to the horns here, uh, so I, I guess we're on opposite sides of this one. I think maybe you're just a pessimist, though. I think you're a cynic. Possibly, I've been called worse before, um, but I I gotta say, um, <laughs> from watching kind of how this program has has looked over the years, it feels really similar. Just uh, Rick Barnes replaced by Shock Smart, replaced by Chris Beard, with a lot more hype. Um, seems like a similar team that doesn't really have the great offense and always will defend you. Uh, but I think Texas Tech is is just as good defensively. And I feel like some of those losses that you're dinging them for on the road are tough environments against teams that certainly aren't like good looking losses by any means. But I think K-State's better than you're giving them credit for. Uh, and Iowa State at that time was still one of the top tier teams that hadn't lost a bunch of games in the Big 12 yet. So um, we'll, we'll see ultimately what happens. I think I'm leaning uh, to the Red Raiders and I'm going to try my best to stay away from it. Um, but I just I feel like it's an, a number I'm looking forward to uh, potentially seeing hit maybe a full possession. And that might be a, the go price for me. Yeah, I mean, Kansas State, it, it, it's not an awful loss, but they, I mean, they lost by double digits. Like, not that, great. That's a, that's, 
that that's a that team is not good enough to be beating Texas Tech, who like most people think is, is like one of the top ten national title contenders. To get beat down on the road like that is odd to me. All right, let's go out west where you talk about you know defense first, having a hard time scoring. Oh. San Diego State at Fresno. I, I think we're looking at a rock fight here, and it feels we're going to call it a pick'em. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if San Diego State is is having to give a point or two on the road uh, because Fresno looks like they're running out of steam late in the season. Like two weeks ago, it felt like they were right there in the mix of the the top tier in the Mountain West, but they've lost three straight, and now they're basically in the middle of the pack. Uh, the losses to Wyoming and at Colorado State, those are they're they're not setting off alarm bells, but getting beat by UNLV at home certainly kind of makes me question how real they are. And not only that, not only did they lose to UNLV at home, that was Orlando Robinson's worst game of the season by far. He played 29 minutes before he fouled out, and he fouled out with seven points on three of 16 shooting and half of his team's turnovers for the night. He stunk. And, you know, obviously San Diego State is a team you'd much rather back at home than away. But this, this is the, the start of a stretch with three out of four away from Viejas. It's Fresno, Boise, and Wyoming. Those are going to be tough games, certainly. Fresno can't shoot, and it's really hard to score inside on San Diego State. The question is, how much offense can the Aztecs put together? That's always the question with them. They, there was some worry that Matt Bradley was going to miss some time, and the offense absolutely needs him. And I was worried because I bet on San Diego State against Utah State. Uh, but not only did he play against Utah State, he was fantastic against them. So I'm going to lean with the team that's playing better ball right now, has, a, I think, a clear coaching edge. But – Playing this game on the road will probably keep me off of it, but I certainly lean to the Aztecs here. What about you? Uh, same same thing. Uh, I think if there's a position, I think Fresno looked a lot better uh, until they started playing some of the top tier Mountain West competition. And to be honest, that that's a good conference this year, and there are some good teams at the top. San Diego State currently, I think, is a bubble team, according to most of the bracket matrix that I've looked at. Um, and they're in a position where they need a win here, and that doesn't really necessarily help because I don't really like that pressure on bubble teams, but I think San Diego State truly is a better team than, than being on the bubble. I think they should be um, pretty safely in the tournament by the time everything ends, and I think that's uh, or this game will, will help them to start fueling uh, that rise that they need in, in the metrics and analytic systems and the net and what have you. Uh, I, I think Fresno are a team that I, I would like to back against inferior competition that aren't rated that way, but I feel like we've kind of missed that boat now, especially if Fresno is going to be about a pick em. I, I was thinking that San Diego State would be favored here. Um, ultimately, I think San Diego State is a better defense. Both really struggle offensively, but I think San Diego State has a lot of length to bother Orlando Robinson, uh, and they have the best shooter scorer on the floor, assuming Matt Bradley's available. Um, he, to me, is a little bit too much of a ball hog at times, but there's not really a lot of other options. <laughs> Who else are you going to give it yeah, to? Yeah, like, I mean, is his contested jumper probably a higher percentage or points per possession efficiency number or shot than it is to giving it to Nathan Mensa on the block and hoping he doesn't fall out of bounds? I mean, potentially. 
Um, but I think from where I sit, I would love to see San Diego State an underdog here because I, I think the Fresno crowd is is decent, but I don't know that it's one of the stronger home court advantages out there. And, and kind of looks like Fresno, you might said hit a wall, might be getting tired. I feel like they're just sinking like a rock, losing three in a row, including a loss to UNLV, which was. I think UNLV is better than a lot of people expect, but that's still not a great loss going into San Diego State at home. I guess if you, if you want to play devil's advocate and say is something you know working against San Diego State here is they're coming off that win against Utah State, which was a huge revenge win. That was, I mean, that if you remember that co- that was a COVID scheduled game, so they they had to play Utah State on like a day notice at, at Utah State, and they just got smashed. Uh, but they get that back, and then they've got to turn around on Tuesday and go to Boise, and Boise's in first place in the, in the conference. So, and you look at the opposite side, and you see Fresno coming off. I mean, look, I think it's probably their, the worst loss of the season for them. Uh, so, it, from a spot standpoint, you have to think maybe this this it, it's good for Fresno, but I, I just don't I don't trust them right now. And and I, I just think San Diego State's the, the better basketball team. All right. Let's get into it. It is best bet time. Griffin, I will let you have the honors, my friend. All right. Well, let's lead off with a Friday game, actually. Um, I see VCU as currently a three-point favorite in a all-Richmond battle with the University of Richmond. Um, and Richmond, to me, has been a team that I was expecting to make a leap into being a decent tournament caliber team, and they really just haven't made that happen. Um, don't love the VCU offense whatsoever. One of the lower offensive efficiencies of what's considered a tournament team or tournament hopeful, I think, around Uh, all of college basketball, but they do defend. And I think that they're going to be, it's going to be a great environment at the Siegel Center tomorrow night. Uh, I just see Richmond as being uh, worse than VCU. And I feel like at a three point spread, that number seems a little bit too low to me. So I'm playing VCU as my best bet. Minus three uh, would would grab it as as soon as you can see it or as soon as this podcast launches, because I I think um, it's climbing from, from here. Yeah, the, this their first game, uh, 126 points scored in that game. Just not a lot of possessions. Uh, it was a, a a grinded type game, which is funny. Like VCU, se- it seems to be playing. You know, that's sort of their long term history. Is they're a, a slow team, but they're 115th in tempo. They're they're just bad at offense. Like they're 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 not good at all on offense, but they are elite defensively. And Richmond, I think early in the season, they were getting a lot of love. You know, they they pushed themselves in, in non-con play, and you know they they held up pretty well. Uh, they 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 had some good sh- like they went they went to overtime with Mississippi State. It, it felt like oh, okay, they're they're playing some good ball, and the the start of conference play was really bad. Um, you know, they they lost to some teams that. In, in hindsight, they probably shouldn't have lost to St. Joe's is the one that jumps out the most. They just lost a game to George Mason. They've lost some games that it, if you're if Richmond was better, they wouldn't be losing those games. And VCU, it, the one thing they've been is they've been consistent when they've played weaker competition. And I, I think Richmond falls into that weaker comp- competition. Uh, so I, I'm with you. It's not fun. Uh, it, it's not fun giving points with VCU, but, but against Richmond, I I think you're probably okay. Uh, I'm going to go to the Ivy also on Friday and I'm going to go with Cornell 
plus one at Dartmouth. And I, this line just didn't really make sense to me, which it kind of worries me, to be honest. Uh, but McKenzie, our resident Ivy Leaguer, he told me beforehand, the Cornell is the dumbest Ivy League kids. So uh, he, he said that that should mean they're the best at basketball. So that's a good sign. But let's let's start with what this game means to these two teams. Now, everybody, like if I say everybody knows, if you don't know, only four teams make the Ivy League tournament, the top four of the eight. So Dartmouth currently sitting at two and seven in Ivy League play. And if they win out, which let's face it, that's unlikely because they've won one game against a team not called Columbia since November. But if they do hypothetically win out, they still can't finish better than 500 in conference and would need Brown, Cornell, and Harvard to all lose out for them to make the conference tournament, which it's just not it's not feasible. Cornell just lost to Brown, one of the teams they're competing for with the final spot, assuming Yale, Princeton, and Penn have their, their spots locked up. They can absolutely not afford a loss against the second-worst team in this league. And Cornell has good size for an Ivy school, which leads them to be 56% from, from two-point percentage, at, which is 17th in the country. Uh, Dartmouth is not only 272nd defending the interior, they're also 328th offensively inside. And if you go back to their first game, Dartmouth shot 10% better from three than their season average, and they still lost that game by eight points. Home court means very little in the Ivy. Maybe more than any other conference, it means it means nothing. I have a hard time picturing this ugly Dartmouth team doing enough to win outright against a motivated Cornell team that has beaten up on bad teams all year. In the eight games this season that Cornell's played, Ken Palm teams outside the top 200, they're 8-0 with a margin of 11 points per game, 7-1 and one against the spread. Dartmouth currently sits at 244, which I told you before the, the show, it just felt mighty generous that they're even there uh, considering what their record is sitting at. So my best bet's going to be Cornell plus one at Dartmouth. I, I would take it to minus one, whatever. I, I think Cornell wins the game. So there's my best bet. It's But it's available now at plus one. There's actually plus one and a halfs out there still if you, uh, if you get this quickly. So there you go. Uh, we're going to go with VCU minus three. Cornell plus one, both those games, Friday games. So we're getting them to you early. So jump on those lines, and uh, and hopefully we, we end up making some money here. Griffin, as always, it has been a pleasure, my friend. And uh, we will do this once again on Sunday. McKenzie always does a great job in the back and also a great job giving me some Ivy League insight uh, to the dummies at Cornell. And uh, th- thanks to you guys for listening. Actually, to thank you guys for listening. Let me give you a promo code, pregame.com promo code. Uh, if you go to pregame.com, any package, any individual bet package or any subscription package, there's college basketball, in rest, uh, rest of season packages, NBA packages. McKenzie does a great job with his NBA stuff. Uh, you, you can get me or Steve Fezzik, any of these guys at pregame, Dave Essler. And if you use the promo code BASKETS20, at checkout, you'll get 20% off any purchase at pregame.com. That's baskets20, B-A-S-K-E-T-S, for you Cornell grads, 2-0. All right, uh, Griffin, always fun, my man. I will talk to you this weekend, and we will talk to you guys then. Thanks. Thanks.